what a joy to stand before the church of God and the body of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for this wonderful uh, opportunity to come and share from God's word. I am really excited and I am also a little bit nervous looking at you because so many of you are here. But I know he gives us the power. When we are weak, then we are strong. And then I know that he has a message for all of us this morning. But I'd like to really thank God and I'm really excited because my family is here. I have been praying and we all, both, all of us have been praying for five years to come to America. It wasn't that easy for us to come over here. But nothing is impossible to a God. And he made it possible for us and today they are here. And uh, I feel like we have, I, I am a complete man now because my family is here. Thank you, Brother Mark, for that wonderful introduction. And thank you, uh, Sister Alice. They have been part of our lives. They have been supporting us, praying with us. They have been a moral support to us. And I'm sure if you have that opportunity, you will also do the same thing. But I am so encouraged that, you know, he is al always available wherever I travel, wherever I go. Because right now I don't have a vehicle and I don't have American license. And I will soon have that one. And I don't want to mistake, uh, make a mistake driving on the left side. <laughs> so I'm still pondering and wondering, you know, Lord, help me to drive on the right side. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> anyway, thank, I want to thank the church for um, your support and your prayers. And um, also thank the pastor, uh, Pastor Stephen. Uh, thank you for inviting me to share this morning from God's word. I know today is a very special day, and that is Father's Day. But um, uh, I would like to wish all of you, uh, you know, all, especially the fathers, you know, to have a wonderful day, and may the Lord bless you. But we have a heavenly father, and uh, we need to honor him more than uh, the father, earthly fathers. And uh, I like to bring your attention from God's word, and I would like to take you to the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me. The book of Romans, chapter 1. <clears throat> and probably this would be a very familiar chapter to you. But I want you to pay more attention as we read His Word. God's Word. The Word that is so alive. And it speaks to us. And it speaks to our hearts. And it cuts our hearts when we read sincerely and honestly. Romans chapter 1 and uh, verses 14 to 17. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. Both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jews, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, uh, for in the gospel a righteousness from God 
is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Father, this morning, we look to you. Pray, Lord, that you will speak to us. May you convince us of your word and the urgency and the obligation upon us. We thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, the topic of my sermon is obligation that demands action. The Apostle Paul speaks or makes three strong and bold personal statements about his anxiety to preach the gospel in Rome. And they are, he says, number one in verse 14, I am under obligation. Or in other translation, it says, I am bound to preach. Then verse 15, it says, I am eager to preach the gospel. And verse 16, he gives a very strong and personal opinion saying, I am not ashamed. And that's where I want to challenge you this morning that we should not be ashamed of the gospel. These three affirmations are so striking that they are in direct antithesis to the attitude of many in the contemporary church. A lot of churches in our world do not believe evangelization and mission, or mission or evangelization. These three affirmations actually pricks them. Why? Because they don't want to involve in the mission. Nowadays, nowadays, evangelism or mission is considered as an option or optional. The last thing that they can think of, not much or not much importance given to it, or it does not have even on their agenda. But for Paul, it is an obligation. He said it is must and inevitable. Today, unfortunately, many Christians are reluctant or to put it in strong words, are ashamed of the gospel. Paul declared that he was not, in our times, if you are aware of, those who are not reluctant or ashamed are put into prison, tortured, persecuted, and falsely accused all over the world, and yet they are not ashamed. That's the testimonies we have from across the world, and especially from the Middle East countries, brothers and sisters who are accused and persecuted and are in jail for the gospel, and yet with a bright smile, broad smile, they are able to say, we are not ashamed. We believe in Jesus Christ and we will, not deny, uh, we will not deny. Know that Paul had every reason to be reluctant or ashamed or even being embarrassed as some of us do. And especially in his own context of Roman Empire. I wonder 
he would have he should have been very scared because roman empire was a very scary city and if i have to describe you in a few words rome was the symbol of imperial pride and power as you all know people spoke of it with awe everybody hoped to visit rome at least once in their lifetime in order to look and stare and wonder about the city it was a city of great political power wealth and cruelty do you agree with me but who was this paul who was this fellow paul who wanted to visit this capital city not as a tourist but as an evangelist and who believed he and who believed he had message which rome needed to listen to what folly and presumption was this wasn't he foolish to do so and take big risks and on top of that he wasn't even handsome man or an attractive personality to look at or listen to that's true if you want if i want to describe his personality the tradition says paul was an ugly little guy with beetle brows brows bendy legs and a ball pate and hooked nose bad eyesight and no great rhetorical gifts a man with a little stature and yet his ambition was to go and preach in a sinful city the city that believed that they are the gods like you know roman empires you have to bow down to them and respect them to such city he was passionate and not ashamed to preach the gospel that reminds me of william carey william carey known as the uh, father of modern mission he was the same stature he looked like just paul probably you know he was very small and we were i was privileged to be part of this historical church for 11 years i preached from the pulpit where william carey preached i handled all his documents and i read all about his passion for god and this man was rejected and sometimes stoned and mocked and spat at and yet he was able to preach the gospel in the city of calcutta which has 24 million people today with such a outlook will he be able to accomplish the purpose against the proud might of imperial rome would he not be wiser to stay away or if he must visit rome would it not be prudent for him to keep his big mouth shut lest he be laughed at out of the crowd and hustle out of the town well paul paul did not think so on the contrary he says i am under obligation and he wrote i am eager and i am not ashamed what a powerful testimony of this man what a powerful life he lived for god's glory my question this morning is what then were the origin or secrets of his evangelistic or mission enthusiasm and if you look at in the word of god 
we will know that. Number one, he was not ashamed because the gospel is a debt to the world. It is a debt to the world. The word of God is a debt to the world. Verses 14 and 15. The phrase, I am under obligation, should be translated, I am, I am dater. If I borrow money from you, I would be in your date until I paid it back. Or paid, until I paid it back. That's right. Equally, if a friend of yours were to hand me $1,000 to give it to you, I would be in your date until I hand it over to you. In the former case, I would have got myself into debt by borrowing. But in the later case, it is your friend who has put me in your date by entrusting me with $1,000 for you. It is in the second sense that Paul is in debt. Of course, he did not borrow anything from the Romans, which he must repay them. But Jesus Christ has entrusted him with the gospel for them. It is Jesus Christ who has made Paul a debtor by committing the gospel to his trust. He was a date to the Romans. As an apostle to the Gentiles, he was a particularly in date to the Gentile world, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, literally the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish, it is with this sense of date to them, he says, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at home. That is the church at Rome. Similarly, we are dators to the world, even though we are not apostles. If the gospel has come to us, which it has, in fact, we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves, but rather we are under obligation to make it known to others. And that reminds me a story. I was reading a newsletter, a brief report on North Korea. Christians who secretly meet in that dark, small, underground church to worship the Lord and to long to hear God's word. I was stunned to see some of the pictures that show how the Christians are excited to receive the smuggled Bibles as gifts and then kiss the Bibles and then shout with a great acclamation and proclamation with tears. You know why? Because they so far heard only somebody speaking to, the, speaking to them, but today they have Bibles in their hands. What a joy to receive God's word. A salute to those, I salute to those Bible smugglers for their courage, life-threatening risk, and hardship to cross those mountains with a huge load of Bibles on their back and the risk being shot by the, border, uh, by the, uh, the, the guards on the border or lifetime imprisonment if they are caught. Why do they do what they do? Because they understand what the eagerness, obligation, and indebtedness means. That exactly is our position. Ever since we have 
become Christian and are part of the body of Jesus Christ. We all of us are under obligation to preach the gospel because the gospel brings life and life eternal, my friends. The church is under obligation. I am under obligation. You are under obligation. And the church that is belongs to Christ is under obligation. And if we have neglected that, my friends, we need to go back to our Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I have crossed the paths of many people, but I have never told them about you. But now I'm going to do because I am under obligation. Because I'm part of the body of Jesus Christ. I want to show you a clip on the man, young man, who left his teaching job. That's, I'm talking about India. And then went back to his tribal groups of people where he was born. He said, I am not happy here. I must go back to my people. It doesn't matter what happens to me. And he winds up everything. And he goes back in that thick woods, the forest, to preach the gospel to the lost tribes of his own people. And his name is Anil Konkani. He comes from a Konkani tribe. And I was amazed to hear about his life when I was in Mumbai last year. After the church service, somebody patted at the back and said, Brother Kishore, uh, you serve with Advancing Native Missions. I have a young man to present you and see if you can go to him. And I told him I, have, I don't have time. But as he began to share me about his story, I was so much stirred up in my spirit. I told my brother, I said, why don't you hire a taxi today? Even though we don't have time, we'll go and see his brother. From Bombay to Gujarat, it took me six hours, just one way, to go and see. And next day, I was supposed to fly back to Calcutta, but I didn't care. The moment I heard his obligation, his eagerness, and his passion for the Lord, I said, we must go and see. And we phoned him and we called him. And you know, believe me, we traveled for six hours and we were on the gravel road, on the dirt road. When we began to go inside, when we met this young man first time, he was absolutely in tears. And I asked him, why are you crying, brother? He said, you are the first man, first person visiting this mission. Just look at this clips here. That's where we were going. The next one, that's the brother Anil. He never asked me money. He never said, oh, please give, give me money. Give me, you know, I have such a big, huge mission and I want to do this and do that. He was so calm and quiet and he was trusting in the Lord. Next one, um, that's the confirmation that I was with him, by the way. <laughs> okay, the next one. This, he has 93 children from different tribes of that area of the Gujarat border. And most of them are orphans. So he's feeding them, taking care of them, and providing all the needs. He does not have sponsorship. He doesn't have you know, continuous support from anyone. And I was wondering, how come he's able to take care of these orphans? And he says, 
Every day, the Lord provides. The next one. And that's his staff members. They are, they are young people. They all are there by faith. Next one. That's the only facility he has for these 93 children and plus the staff members. The next one. And that's the classroom. Young people, how fortunate you are. You go to the most beautiful schools and colleges. You sit in the AC, AC rooms, and you have all the opportunities to know and learn and understand. But look at their struggle. This building can be collapsed at any time if it rains hard. And in India, we have three seasons. It rains and rains and rains for three months. But this is how they sit and learn and understand and get knowledge. Next one. This is Anil's house. Fully mud house. And how many times this, has, this house has collapsed because of the hard rain? And how many times he has put the you know, mud walls again and, and the roof on top of that? The next one. Look at the children. Beautiful children from the tribal background. Next one. That's their kitchen. <laughs> and that's the wood. They, you know, you see the dry wood there? You know, they will, they, they, the wood dry used for the, you know, cooking food and so on. The next one. And if you see, that's the, uh, the view from the other side of the building. The next one. Nothing. Next one is an obligation. Eagerness. How much we are passionate for God's word. This young man is under obligation to take the gospel to his people. Number two, I like to focus on why Paul was so much obligated because the gospel is God's power for salvation. Paul now gives second reason for being eager to preach the gospel and not ashamed of it. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. You remember he told to Corinthians that he came to them in weakness and fear and with much crumbling. How then did Paul overcome the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel? He tells us, it is by remembering that the very same message which some people despise for its weaknesses is in fact the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Ultimately, the gospel is God, God's saving power for everyone who believes, first for the Jews and then for the Gentile. Saving faith, which is the necessary response to the gospel, is the great leveler. Reflecting on the apostles' affirmation, his eagerness to evangelize in Rome arose from his recognition that the gospel is an unpaid debt to the world and the saving power of God. The first gave him the first gave him a sense of obligation and the second a sense of conviction. Still today the gospel is both a debt to discharge and a power to experience. Only when we have grasped 
and felt those truths, shall we be able to say with Paul, I am not ashamed, but I am under obligation, so I am eager to share the gospel with the world. Isn't that amazing? Gospel has the power to deliver people from their sins, from their cultural barriers and bondages, from the poverty, and from the knowledge that is not true. Today, we live in a world where people and the educational system are talking about philosophy and rationalism, and then they talk about that the science that can give you hope. And I wonder how come philosophy and rationalism and science can give us a hope. Because the word of God says there is only one way. Jesus is the only way. And there is no other way. Jesus is the answer for all our problems. Jesus is the answer even for those an atheist sitting down and reading and being so much academic and forgetting that they were created by the God of this Bible. We have an obligation. I was flying in 2010, and I was sitting in between two people. One was the missionary on my left side, another was an American, probably very, um, very elderly man, around probably 60s. I should not say elderly man then. He was 60 minutes here in America, very young, right? Well, sitting next to me on my right hand, the man who was sitting uh, on my left, he was so happy and he was showing his children the missionary pictures and he, did, he didn't know English much and I, you know, I didn't know his language too. So I asked him, are you Christian? And he said, yes, but I am Christian, I am a missionary and so on. The man on my right side, he was looking at those pictures and then he asked me, where are you from? I said, I'm from India. And he said, you speak really good English. I said, and then yes, I said, thank you so much. Appreciate it for that. And where are you going? I said, I'm going to Charlottesville. He says, I'm also going. And where are you in Charlottesville? I said, I'm going to Afton. He said, that's where I stay. And then we opened the conversation. And I asked him, sir, what do you do? And he says, I am a surgeon. And I said, are you Christian? Because every American I see, they, you know, they look like Christian, but they are not sometimes. So that was my mistake. And he says, no, I'm not Christian. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And I just looked at him and I smiled at him. And I asked him a very radical question. Probably he must have been, uh, you know, very much hurt. I said, why? Why you don't believe in God? And he had so many reasons to you know, tell me. And I said, wow, this is amazing. This is the land that brought the Gospels to hundreds and thousands and millions across the world. This land and this country was founded on the constitution of the Word of God. It has, it has the implication of the Word of God. The constitution has. This is the land has sent hundreds and thousands of missionaries across the world. And here I am sitting with an atheist. I just didn't know how to answer him. 
And I just asked him one question, sir. I said, okay, that's fine. That is your belief. But I like to present to you about Jesus Christ. I said, this is what my testimony is. I was born in a Hindu family, and I was also very radical. I used to carry all the gods and goddesses on my head and chant for them. And I was so proud of my culture and my religion. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, my life was changed. And he was so quiet and listening to me. But I'm sure he was so adamant, he was not willing. And then I asked him one question. I said, sir, you being a medical doctor, tell me one thing. I said, when the baby in the mother's womb is formed, can science tell when it starts breathing? Can anybody tell when the baby starts breathing? When it is fully grown in the mother's womb? We don't know. And he says, you're very smart. You're asking me very difficult question. And I says, it's all about God. It's not science. Science cannot give a breath to a baby in the mother's womb. It is God who gives breath in mother's womb. That's the God I'm talking to you this morning. And that's God we worship, my friends. We are under obligation to preach the God of this Bible. We are under obligation to tell all our friends around us. It's, our mission is not only here, but across the world. And that's what A&M is doing. That's what we are doing. We are trying our best. Somehow, the people will know about Jesus Christ. Somehow they will gaze at him. Somehow they will realize that there is nothing in this world can satisfy me. Nothing in this world can give me peace in my heart except Jesus Christ. We are under obligation to preach the gospel. The third thing I would like to quickly go, and if I am overlapping time brother you know phil please tell me or brother warren please warn me the gospel reveals god's righteousness for in the gospel a righteousness from god is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith and i don't have much time to develop on this or to you know say something on Theologically, the reason the gospel is God's saving power is that it is God's righteousness that revealed to all of us who believe. Moreover, this righteousness is from, is from faith to faith. Fulfillment of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. What is righteousness of God? Someone said, the righteousness of God is divine attribute or quality. Since he is the judge of all the earth, it stands to reason that he will himself always do right. For he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. In Romans, God's personal righteousness is supremely seen in the cross of Christ. When God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, he did it to demonstrate his justice in order that he might be both himself just 
and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is what Paul wants to declare to the Romans. Throughout Romans, Paul is at pains to defend the righteous character and behavior of God. And that is why he was so eager to go to Romans. Doesn't matter what happens. Even my life is cut up. I am not afraid of that. I must go and tell to the Romans declaring who God is. N.T. Wright, one of the authors, rightly puts it. The righteousness of God is essentially the covenant faithfulness. The covenant justice of the God who made promises to Abraham in and through whom the evil of the world would be undone. It seems legitimate to affirm, therefore, that the righteousness of God is God's righteous initiative in putting sinners right with himself by bestowing on them a righteousness which is not their own but his. Paul's concern here is not how righteous people live, but how sinful people become righteous. That is what his concern was. This is the core of the gospel. Nothing keeps people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need of him or their unwillingness to admit Jesus Christ. The last and very important, the scope of the gospel is all the nations. And that is why he was so eager and so passionate. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jews, then for the Gentile. What, is, what he is affirming is that the gospel is for everybody. And it is, its scope is universal. Paul continues a manifesto of evangelism and mission in chapter 10 of Romans and verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If the gospel is power of God and wherein the righteousness is being revealed, then the evangelism and mission is necessary until people hear and receive the gospel, they are lost. This recognition of the gravity of the human situation, which Paul argued in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 till chapter 3, is indispensable to evangelism and mission. The scope of evangelism mission, the whole human race must be given the chance to hear the gospel. They must be given the chance to hear the gospel. Today is Father's Day. I want to wish all the fathers sitting right here in the church. But also think all those millions who do not know who the Heavenly Father is. Would you please join with us, helping us to make known this Father who loves us and loves the rest of the world and do not want to see perishing anyone but come to him who gives eternal life. I want to encourage you, my friends, this morning. We are under obligation.
to bring the gospel to the lost ones through our involvement. How are we going to involve? What is our obligation? What is our eagerness? God has given us the grace. And that grace, we need to take it seriously. Try our best. Try our best in order to win that one soul which is restless and trying to find the home in God. That is where I want to encourage you this morning and nothing else. May the Lord bless you. If the Lord speaks to you and if you want to support this ministry of A&M, or if you have any questions to ask, we will be at the fore there and you're most welcome and we can talk and pray. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you.